Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about a presentation that I co-hosted with Jared McCabe from Wakeland Property Advisory. And the theme of the presentation was, how can you position yourself and what can you do to take advantage of the recovering property market, assuming you agree that there is uh, some green shoots, shines, probably not overwhelming data, but certainly indications that if the property market's not recovering, it's probably bottomed out. Uh, So if we share the same opinion, what can you do about it as an investor, particularly if you're considering making a property investment in the next few years? Um, And what I want to do uh, in this podcast is just summarise some of the content that I spoke about and some key points. But of course, I've included a link in the show notes. Uh, And uh, of course, it's on our blog as well on our website uh, to a recording of that presentation that goes for about an hour. So if you're interested in more detail, certainly check that out. Uh, But I just wanted to highlight a couple of the, the things that we spoke about Um, Now, I don't really want to cover Jared's uh, content, which is really uh, mostly in respect to the Melbourne property market, um, because, you know, that's not my necessarily my area of expertise. But uh, I would maybe, uh, well, at least I think it's helpful to summarise one of the key points that uh, really came out of Jared and my discussion yesterday, and that is that there are very low stock levels at the moment. And from discussions with agents that Jared has and his team has been having, there doesn't seem to be any signs that new listings will dramatically increase in the spring market as well. So one of the problems uh, is uh, is firstly getting a good read on the market. You know, with such significantly low volumes in Melbourne and also really across Australia. It's really difficult to see how robust the market is, how robust the underlying level of demand is. Now, is the market recovering just because there is very low stock levels? You know, so there aren't that many buyers around, but there's even fewer properties. And as a result, the the, the clearance rates are looking better. Is that the issue? Or is it, in fact, a, a recovery of of sentiment in respect to the property market. Well, until we get more volume into the market, it's going to be very difficult to to get that reading. And as a result, there's always going to be some level of uncertainty around where the market is at and how robust it is and what the future growth looks like. The second element to that is that if you're going out and trying to locate an investment grade asset, that can be challenging in this market given the low stock levels. So it requires patience. Um, You know, if you uh, embarked on a search today or engaged a buyer's agent to do that on your behalf, which I think that's what most people should be doing because they don't have the skill set or experience to replicate what a buyer's agent will do, a reputable one at least. Um, uh, So if you're going to embark on a search today, it's quite possible, at least you make friends with it, that you won't find anything for six, maybe even 12 months. And you need to have that discipline to walk away uh, rather than... You know, sometimes clients get a bit fatigued <laughs> um, about uh, spending their weekends and nights online looking at property, and um, and then they they end up sort of compromising and saying, "Oh, I couldn't be bothered doing this for longer. This 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 uh, property is near enough, and near enough is not good enough uh, with respect to investment." So, 
that was um, one of the key themes that I enjoyed the most out of our conversation with um, with my conversation with Jared yesterday. As I said, uh, feel free to uh, watch the the full recording of the presentation. It goes into um, Jared talks about the different segments in the Melbourne property market and what sort of assets he feels are appropriate for those budgets. Uh, so, um, in terms of purchase price ranges. Uh, anyway, uh, what I can talk about um, more confidently is about my content, and uh, what I've done is just sort of picked out a couple of questions uh, that uh, Jared asked me that I think uh, might be of interest to you. Uh, so the first question was really about what do investors need to think about in a low interest rate environment, and it sort of um, uh, bled over into another question that Jared asked me about interest rate expectations. So I might just riff about that um, uh, here uh, and combine it into sort of one question. So I guess as an observation, central banks have maintained significantly lower interest rate regimes uh, since the GFC, uh, as well as some quantitative easing, which is just another way of um, central banks getting more money supply into into the markets by issuing bonds. Um, and uh, hopefully that money supply and money flow uh, stimulates the economy. That's that's the theory behind it anyway. Um, and if you look at you look if you look globally at the moment, um, uh, the UK is near zero. Uh, Europe is at zero, contemplating negative interest rates. Uh, Japan's been stuck on zero interest rates for um, twenty years. Uh, the US uh, cash rates now at three and a half percent, and there's strong indications that the Fed Reserve will start cutting that. Mr. Trump would like a half a percent cut, but most uh, commentators are expecting a 0.25, a quarter of a percent uh, cut. And Australia's at uh, at one percent. So really, the the rest of the world has been in a, a much lower interest rate environment for an extended period of time. And Australia is only just joining that party uh, now. Interesting to look at the US economy, which has been doing incredibly well with a very tight labour market, um, uh, some signs of wage inflation, but not a, a lot of uh, you know just normal CPI, general inflation, uh, considering the, the tight economy and how much it's been growing. Uh, the interesting thing to note is that normally, or in the past, uh, the US interest rate, cash rate has peaked in an economic cycle at at five and a half. It looks like it's peaking at three and a half now. So all indicators suggest that perhaps it's very difficult to get out of this very low interest rate cycle. And in fact, that the global economies around the world just can't really stomach a lot of interest rate increases. That is that with increases in interest rates tend to flow down, flow, flow through to a slowing economic growth. Um, and as I said, Japan's been stuck on uh, zero interest rates for, for 20 years. At, at times, they've had negative interest rates. So it's really difficult to see. I mean, everything moves in cycles, and we, we can't um, uh, necessarily think that the world has changed forever and um, you know e- everything's going to be different this time around. Everything will move in cycles, and I'm sure this will flow through. So the only question is... How long will we be in this very low interest rate environment for? And if we are in a low interest rate environment, what does that mean? 
Well, I think there's two concerns or two um, things that investors really need to be thinking about in a low interest rate environment. The first one is um, low interest rates can give rise to asset price bubbles. So that is that um, the, the economic and, and finance theory suggests that the lower the risk-free rate is, so that is really the, um, the ten, say, 10-year government bond rate is a good proxy for a risk-free rate. So the lower interest rates are, the higher company valuations are because money is cheaper, so we need less return on our money um, and the more return that we have, or, you know, so the more profit a, a business makes, uh, it's more valuable to a low interest rate environment. So um, all things being equal, if we valued a company in an environment where the interest rates are high versus interest rates are low, a low interest rate environment is going to yield a higher valuation of that company. So the risk is then in a low interest rate environment that valuations get skewed you know, that things start to become overvalued, which is a little bit of a concern, um, which I've talk- spoken about in the US stock market at the moment. But Australian property isn't immune to that. So we need to be mindful of that. Now, the, the mitigant to that occurring is the tightening in credit in Australia. So I don't think it's going to occur in Australia, but sometimes valuations can get um, skewed by by interest rates. The second thing is, a low interest rate environment tends to indicate a low inflationary environment. And in fact, Australia's inflation rate is now 1.3% uh, and has been falling. Now, in a rising tide, all ships rise. So if we're in a higher inflation uh, environment, our property values are increasing. But our loan amounts, dollar value loan amounts are staying the same. So even that inflationary, although our purchasing power is eaten away, we're still getting some equity in our property. If inflation is zero, let's just assume it's zero, for instance, um, then we can't uh, rely on that rising tide. So the best thing to do, or in fact, the, the, the only thing really to do to mitigate both of those risks that I just spoke about is to level up on quality. So if I'm buying the best quality property in Melbourne, like the absolute, the number one, you know, from an investment perspective, the absolute best quality property, as you can imagine, I'm almost certainly going to do well in terms of capital growth over the next 10 years, irrespective of what inflation does, irrespective of what asset price bubbles do. Because at least if I have a quality asset, I am I might enjoy or get dragged along with the asset price bubble, but I won't be part, part of it. You know, when, when there's a correction, and ultimately always is a correction, when there's asset price bubbles, the, the quality rises to the top. So the best thing to do in that environment is go for quality. And probably the biggest um, concern that I have is really around inflation. And we can't um, uh, seduce ourselves into looking at the past 30 years in the property market and going, wow, look at that, those returns. And thinking that they will be available, those returns will be available to everyone that participates in the property market over the next 30 years. I think that's a risky assumption. Um, and I think it will be, uh, for the next 30 years, arguably more about asset selection than what it was in the past 30 years. Okay, let's talk about a, another question that Jared asked me, which is really about um, bank valuations. So when we're doing, doing some lending for clients, we're finding that uh, property valuations are coming in short, low. Uh, lower than clients' expectations, and that causes problems sometimes in terms of available equity. 
it's a hallmark of a market that has very low property transactional volumes, um, which has been the case over the last 18 to 24 months. Um, and so it's something that you need to be prepared for. Um, that is that, you know, that your properties, if, you, if you're looking to change uh, or do anything f- um, from a, a mortgage perspective, that your property valuations are probably going to come in low. So just um, make sure you align your expectations uh, with that so you don't, you, you don't feel disappointed. And there's not a lot we can do about it because, as you can imagine, when a valuer goes out and values a property and if there hasn't been many transactions, and in fact, the transactions that have occurred over recent time probably by motivated vendors, so people that have to sell for a specific reason, whereas discretionary vendors probably wouldn't have sold property over the last couple of years. You know, if you held a property and you thought, I'd like to get rid of this property at some point, but now's not the right time, that's where most people are thinking. Discretionary vendors are the ones that typically participate in a more buoyant market, and as a result, uh, that stimulates price growth. But in a in a subdued or falling market like we've just been in, uh, it's really the vendor that drops their price first gets the sale, typically in most situations. So all the sales that have occurred, or at least a lot of the sales that have occurred, they're not very helpful from a comparable sale perspective, and that drags down uh, bank valuations as well. So it's something that we think about right from the beginning when we're working with a client uh, to restructure mortgages or, or do anything like that. Um, to, to make sure that we're mitigating it. So the only other thing, the only thing you can really do is order a couple of different valuations from, from different banks. And sometimes they'll come in significantly different, you know, maybe a $100,000 difference or something. And sometimes that $100,000 difference can, can make or break a, a transaction in terms of uh, um, getting approval. The last question I wanted to talk about here is uh, about, Jared asked me a question about uh, not focusing on headline performance, but looking behind performance. So that is, I've always, that's all what I've always said to, to Jared and, and to, to clients. So let me give you an example to explain what I mean uh, about that. So if you have a look at the US market, um, it's uh, achieved an average return of 16%, more than 16% per annum over the last 10 years. So on average, if you invested your money uh, 10 years ago in the S&P 500, you would have achieved on average 16% every year, which is an extraordinary return over a 10-year period, right? That's a really well above average. You know, the, the mean return is closer to 10%. So, you know, it's 60% more than the average. Uh, whereas if you look at the uh, Australian property market over the last couple of years, for example, it's in Melbourne and Sydney, it's down 10%. So if you looked at those two headline returns uh, and that's all you looked at, you would conclude that, wow, the US market's a great investment and Australian property is a really poor investment. But then you have to have a but. But what I'm suggesting is you actually have to understand what's driven the return to then understand what the investment opportunity looks like. So that if I told you then that um, valuations are incredibly high in the US, that uh, the top six tech companies now make up 16% of the market and have and have driven a lot of the return, that some of those tech companies are trading at um, price to earnings. Uh, multiples of 80 to 100 times, you know, so if you pay 100 times what a company generates in profit, where is your return really going to come from? I mean, where is that? that you've, you've prepaid 
for whatever potential growth uh, there might be, I would argue. Um, and that if I then say, well, it is actually a, a return of 60% more than what the mean is, and given markets have a, a really strong historic representation of mean reversion, so you know, after a period of time of above mean growth is typically followed by a period of below mean growth, then you would look at that US market, and in my opinion, all I see is risk. Risk that I'm investing right at the peak of the market and the likelihood of the next 10 years of returns, the likelihood is that they're going to be significantly below and indicators are saying closer to 2 or 3% rather than 16%. Whereas if you look at the Australian property result uh, and you go negative 10% over the last couple of years, that doesn't look so fantastic. But then if you understand the drivers in terms of, um, well, Malcolm Turnbull got ousted. All of a sudden, uh, we had to make friends with potentially uh, Bill Shorten's tax policies coming into play. Before then, it was it was less likely. So it was a bit of a shock to the market that the market wasn't really expecting. Um, then all the polls suggested that Shorten was a shoe-in. In fact, a, a, a dramatic uh, victory was predicted. And so the property market had to get its head around um, probably the most substantial changes in taxation uh, that has ever occurred in Australia, uh, if not certainly since uh, 1985 when uh, capital gains tax and negative gearing was introduced. So uh, there's that. And then at the same time, we had a Royal Commission and um, significant tightening in credit volumes, which dropped off you know, significantly more than 50, uh, 50%. So a whole lot less money was sort of flowing into the property market these two things uh, aren't uh, continual events in the property market. Credit will eventually loosen. It's starting to loosen already. People, The banks have reduced benchmark interest rates. There's a public hearing next month in front of ASIC. I think there'll be more fallout from there. And I, I think um, I predict that credit will gradually loosen up. Um, as we know, the ALP didn't win the election. So the tax policies remain. Now, the market will need a little bit of time to get its head around that and kind of recover. It's been bashed around a little bit. But the return, the negative 10% return, hasn't been driven by anything that's going to be ongoing or fundamental. You know, it's, it's not that big a deal. The fundamentals really are supply and demand. You know, that I've spoken before about how Australia has not enough taxpayers and too much land, 15 million uh, taxpayers in Australia, and too much land to really fund a lot of infrastructure spend. So as a result, the capital cities are always going to be under demand pressure. Uh, And also then if you add in population growth continues to to climb, you know that supply-demand story is is incredible. That's the fundamentals that will drive returns and, and capital growth, not, you know, that um, some politician decided to moot some tax policies that never came into play. That's a very short-term occurrence. So that's why I think it's really important. That's just two examples of looking behind the returns and understanding how markets are behaving it is ju- is more important than actually looking at the headline return. Just chasing returns, uh, as a lot of research has proven, uh, doesn't work. So there you go. Uh, I've used up at least twenty, nearly 20 minutes of your time, and I like to keep these things uh, short. And Punchy, as I said, there's a link in the show notes and on our blog on our website uh, to a recording of the presentation I did with Jared uh, yesterday. Um, uh, If it's of interest, uh, please do uh, check it out. And until next time, uh, until next week, in fact, 
Bye for now.